All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you everyone for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. First, I'd like to thank our sponsors for this episode in Fly Racing. Fly Racing is excited to celebrate its 25th anniversary in 2023. Led by the revolutionary Formula S helmet featuring Rion technology, Fly Racing continues to push the boundaries of product, performance and design. We would like to thank our loyal dealers and customers for 25 incredible years and look forward to the next 25 and beyond. Check out the new line at flyracing.com, at Fly Racing USA on social media and all our athletes at Worldwide Motocross and Off-Road Events in 2023. So jump on it and check that out. This episode, we're back with a great man, Jason Thomas. How's life and how's 2024 preparations going, mate? The SNX shows are pumping and I'm sure you're pretty busy at fly in preparation for it all. Yeah, and in theory, this should be the uh, one of the slowest times of the year. Maybe you could argue, uh, you know, the end of October would, would be slower than now, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel like it. You know, we're we're having a, a big American holiday with Thanksgiving uh, this week, which means a lot of people are away from work and the industry is pretty slow. Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to enjoy that and, and have a little bit of a holiday myself because I, I just know how this goes. I've been doing it way too long. And if you don't take time to enjoy it right now, you're going to really wish that you did uh, when January rolls around because, you know, the way the way the world schedule is and especially for me, trying to, you know, I'll do all 31 SMX rounds and then I'm going to try to squeeze in a few MXGP rounds. Uh, you just don't really get a break for the next nine to 10 months. So it's a really important time to kind of force yourself to, to disconnect and recharge a bit. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Well said. It's been a pretty grueling schedule for you. 2023, that's for sure. And then your yeah, attack on the nations at Madley should be exceptional as well. So it'll be another big one, mate. But yeah, thanks for taking the time to join us. And I guess we'll start with the Paris Supercross. Obviously, it's sort of like an exhibition race, but I reckon there was still quite a lot of value and sort of insight to be extracted from that. The iconic race, obviously, in its 40th year. So obviously, Jet, pretty ominous for A1. It's sort of another testament to the skills, the adaptability, just everything, the technique. It was pretty exceptional how he could make up those differences in the sections, even on such a small track like the sand and the whoops, especially with the sand carrying the momentum through there and wheel tapping those little sections just to get every little ounce of extra speed while still making it look so effortless, mate. So I guess your takes on it, him and Hunter had some pretty awesome battles and Hunter was definitely probably exceeded expectations with that effort and just looked really connected and planted and stable, except for that crash in the whoops, which could have been really bad if those tough blocks were there. So nice little battle potentially simmering when they hit the track at A1. They'll find themselves a lot throughout the season, no doubt. So just some of your takeaways from Paris there too, mate. Yeah, I thought they were both great. Um, I was curious to see how they would both look um because I've, I've written about this a little bit i've talked about it on my own personal podcast uh i didn't think that they would come in very prepared for this race and, and that would be on purpose uh, because if you really look at their schedule similar to what i was talking about if they don't purposely take some time off after motocross the nations and before this paris race like when are they going to take time off because They'll, you know, I'm sure they're arriving probably back home today or maybe yesterday and they'll, you know, maybe they'll celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday, maybe not, but it's, it's pretty much go time for boot camp and all the preparation and the work that has to be put in now that's going to allow them to be their best self in January, February, March. So I'm sure they would like to kind of hang out a little bit more and take some more time off because it got cut short preparing for a pair of supercross. So it's a really weird thing. And if you ever wonder why guys like Eli Tomac or Carmichael, or these guys never raced, uh, you know, Bercy, they really didn't do Geneva. They wouldn't go to Barcelona. 
it was because of this variable. You know, if in in reality, coming out of motocross the nations, Jet and Hunter should have taken a few weeks off and not really ridden. You know, do some maintenance stuff. Like you don't want to get wildly out of shape and gain weight or anything, but you certainly don't want to be locked into your routine and be, you know, ment- the, the mental aspect of this is just as important as the physical and they need to disconnect for a little bit and they need to just allow themselves to unwind so they don't suffer burnout. You know, they need to heal those nagging injuries, which was certainly important mm-hmm. for Hunter because he, you know, he was barely able to race motocross the nation. So um, it was, I'm sure it was a little bit of a compromise of, okay, we get back from France for motocross nations. Let's take some time off, ride some. And for Hunter, even he's got to get used to the 450. So it's a little bit different, but you want to try to find a balance between we didn't overexert ourselves on preparation for Paris. We also don't want to come in and be unprepared or crash because you're super rusty or anything too. So it's a, it's a really delicate line that I think they had to try to walk. Uh, but to your question, I was very, very impressed at how sharp they were uh, in the face of that. And it it didn't really look like that they had taken a lot of time off or came in unprepared. So now the question is, knowing that they looked that good in the middle of November, how do they approach the next six weeks, right? Because I would have prepared – I would have preferred – and this is going to sound weird, but I would have preferred for Jet to look a little bit off at Paris, just look a tick off a little rusty, um, just kind of not hitting his marks, like maybe win, maybe lose, you know, Kenny beats him some, but not dominant. Um, I would prefer that because that would tell me that he had taken the necessary time off. He was really trying to take a break so that he could really go back in and apply himself uh, for 2024. Now, playing devil's advocate to that theory, someone could just say, well, yeah, but that's just how good Jet is. Like he did all those things and he's still this damn good. And that could be, that could be true also. Um, so we'll see. Time will tell. 2024 is going to, to tell this story for us. Um, but I, I really didn't have very high expectations and both of them exceeded those uh, with pace and consistency and uh, yeah, just overall uh, performance. They, they were really, really impressive. Yeah. It's an excellent insight there, mate. And it's definitely something they need to, you know, take stock of because obviously how hard is it from your perspective to adapt to, I guess, the 250 schedule to that 450 schedule where there's all the Supercross rounds and then obviously the motocross, then the SMX, and then they'll probably be doing the Nations as well. So it's a lot to take in. Is it a tough adjustment for 250 riders to step up to that full-time 450 program where it's a lot more brutal, a lot more grueling? It's every single week. So how do you think that goes and how hard is it? Yeah, I think it is really tough uh, to, to be your best for that long of a stretch. And when you factor in the expectation that is placed on Jet's shoulders because Jet, I don't believe himself that he believes that it's okay to lose right now. And, and, you know, most of his fans, if he loses, they're like, what happened? Right. Well, sorry, it's, it's tough to be perfect when you look at how competitive this field is right now. So him being his best self and being able to give a world-class performance week in and week out for, you know, let's say 31 out of 35 weekends, that's asking an incredible amount. It doesn't matter what, if you look at any sport, American football, whatever, teams have bad nights, bad games, bad performances because of that. It's really hard to maintain that just 1%, you know, level performance, like the very, very top. Um, So that's going to be, I don't, I don't know what to expect with that. I just hope that 
they take it in stride and understand the big picture and it. You don't have to go 17 and 0 in Supercross, right? Like that's not to me, that's not the goal, nor it should be. The goal should be to win races and be in the championship fight. And, you know, down the wire, you're your best uh, coming into April and May. Um, so it's, it's going to be a learning experience, you know, and, and I think for Hunter, he doesn't have the expectation that Jet does. So he can kind of take things as they come. Uh, look, you know, look at his younger brother, which is strange to say, as kind of like, okay, you're going to take the brunt of this expectation. And I'm going to sneak in under a little under the radar a little bit, try to snag some podiums. And if, hey, if a win pops up and, the, and I can be opportunistic, fantastic. But you're going to get all the spotlight. You're going to have you know, everyone staring at you every weekend. And maybe that's exactly what Hunter, you know, the best setup for Hunter and the best chance for him to do well, because I'll be honest with you, he looked better than I expected in Paris. So maybe this is going to be exactly the right setup for him. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing to follow. And yeah, well said, mate, obviously set the bar so high, but like we saw last year with the Supercross championships and MXGP, MX2 championships, just being consistent, being healthy and being there is half the battle, isn't it? So if they can do that, you never know where they stand. And yeah, but the decimated field and, you know, especially Supercross last year, it'll be really interesting to see how it all pans out. And I wanted to also get your thoughts on Webb. I guess that was maybe the kind of performance Hunter might have wanted to stay in under the radar a bit as he maybe got used to things. But yeah, Webb, you probably wouldn't have expected maybe that Hunter would have beaten him so emphatically. So obviously still early stages for him, hasn't done a lot of racing in the second half of this year, especially just at this point, I'm imagining just getting an idea in what directions he wants to go. Got on the podium basically because of Kenny's uncharacteristic crashes and just didn't look that comfortable. But yeah, I think he's just making a lot of fork adjustments. He was speaking to your mate Steve afterwards in the post-race. Just Yeah, just wants to get up the intensity, get up the fitness and then sort of be primed for A1. It's definitely a building situation for him. But yeah, back on the star Yamaha. Obviously, he said that he was a lot happier in the whoop. So that's obviously a positive thing. And yeah, lots to work on. But how was that from your sort of perspective? I guess, Webb, and you can touch on Roxon as well. Yeah, uh, Cooper looked okay. Um, but I, I really think he needs to, and this is something that I think hurt him last year, he's going to have to ride and practice with some riders that are faster than him. Because when I watch him at the races, I watched him on press day, like some of the videos that came out from press day at Paris, he just looks slower than the other guys. And, and it's not that he's not, still a competitive racer. I just see the intensity and the way the other guys are attacking the racetrack. And he doesn't have that right now. Now that doesn't mean he won't be able to find it before January, but just when I'm watching him, he looks a little complacent. He doesn't have the aggressiveness. He doesn't have kind of the innovation on the motorcycle that when you watch jet, he's kind of just, he's really attacking the track. Like the track looks very basic to him where Cooper's kind of riding it and allowing things to come at him. It's just a, it's just a very different optically uh, looking thing. Um, so that's what I, I see with Webb is he just needs to find some pace. And the only way that I know that there is to find pace is to go practice with people that are faster than you. And it's sometimes you have to swallow your pride and say, you know what, I'm going to get my butt kicked every day practicing leading up to Anaheim. But guess what? When I show up at Anaheim, I'm going to be a lot faster than I was six weeks ago. So we'll see what that looks like. Um, but there's a, there's a strange dynamic there because I think this is what happened last year. Um, I, I, we talked about this, like, you know, at the beginning of last Supercross season, but, you know, the way that these practice facilities are structured, you know, everybody kind of gets walked into their own facility and they practice with the same guys day after day after day. And you think that you're going really fast. And I think that's what happened with 
Plessinger, Malcolm Stewart, Christian Craig, and Cooper Webb last year, they all thought they, they were ripping, right? Like they thought they were on the cutting edge of pace and they were super ready coming in day one. Come to find out, none of them were fast enough. So it was it was like fool's gold. And and they were all uh and I think in a fantasy land of what the pace was going to be, like that, they thought they were all pushing each other and really prepared. Well, guess what? The pace that you needed, the pace that Eli had and these other guys had was a lot faster. And you just fooled yourself into thinking that you were actually ready. So I think that's where maybe if, you know, cause Cooper's switched over, he's, he's up at the, the, you know, monster Yamaha star racing uh, track now in Tallahassee. Maybe practicing with some of the 250 guys if, you know, Hayden Deegan ends up coming back there sometime in December. Just get with some different guys that can show you a different pace and show you some different intensity and aggressiveness uh, because that's the worst feeling. And I've done it. I've been there. You come in and you think you're ready. You've done so, – and it's not about whether you did work or not. You did an insane amount of work, but you come in and, it, and it, you just realize way too late that you are nowhere near – where you need to be and it. It's too late to, you know, to, you're not going to find a second or two a lap on race day. You know, that, that, what that needed to be done in November and December. So that's just what I see from the outside. It looks like he's in that same spot where he just doesn't have that race speed intensity. Um, the, the last thing I'll say about it is somehow he was able to, to find it. Right. And we, we saw him come around, Sometime in the middle of the season, he started getting faster, and he was actually a, a championship contender going into the last few rounds. So he he needs to remember what he felt like in the first few rounds, and he just didn't have the pace of Sexton or Tomac, and he needs to, like, okay, I've got to push my boundaries. I've got to push the limits. So when I show up and the, I'm doing a 51-second you know, lap time, and those guys are turning like 49-7s, on, at Anaheim, I've got to be able to wait. I've got to have it inside me. And, and that form built up over this off season to be able to, I can turn it up too. Like I have it deep down. I have that intensity and you're not kind of scratching your head and, and trying to tinker with the bike on Saturday. So that's where I saw Webb. It just looked that same way all weekend. He just didn't have, he just simply didn't have the top end speed to go with those guys when he needed to or wanted to. Uh, and then, yeah, to, to your question on Kenny, I thought Kenny looked great, but I, I expected Kenny to look great. And that's kind of the, the opposite of where I thought Jet would be versus where I thought Kenny would be because Kenny's coming off of a lot of racing. You know, he raced motocross nations. Then he was went straight into preparation for Abu Dhabi goes to Paris. He knows he's got world supercross on the back end of that. So he's kind of been like almost in season mode, lots of practicing, lots of prep, lots of testing. Um, so I expected him to be super sharp. That wasn't a shock at all. You know, the, the crashes in the, the final race were a little bit of a shock, but the rest of it, that's where I expected Kenny to be. Um, and, and conversely to Jet, what does Kenny's midseason form look like? Because he's putting in so much work right now to be his best, right? And I always feel like it's a, it's a game of balance of, do you want to be your best in November and December? Or do you want to be your best in March, April, May? And you have to fundamentally change your training schedule around that because it's not possible to physically peak year round. And it doesn't matter if it's supercross or bodybuilding or Olympic sports or whatever. There are certain times in a certain way that your, your body's going to peak. And if you just try to hold that forever, you're, you're going to get tired. Your body's going to stop performing at that high level. So 
that'll be an interesting conversation you and I can have, say, in, in April and see what Kenny's form looks like after kind of wanting to be his best form right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Obviously, quite a unique schedule for him this year. Sort of obviously did the Supercross and did just this one outdoors and then did the Nations and, yeah, doing the World Supercross. So it was an interesting one, probably something that you have to be monitoring all the time with the training load and this kind of thing. And just, yeah, where you want to peak, that's a really great point, mate. But, yeah, on the topic of web, it's sort of interesting. You don't sort of know what version you're going to see. And maybe it was a blessing in disguise that sort of, I don't know if you call it a status check, recalibrate the focus at Paris just to know where he needs to be because, those guys are probably going to be as you know a couple of the fastest guys out there. So, and obviously not having Tomac to train with because he essentially does his own thing. How exciting is it to see Tomac back? And I guess he's a bit of an unknown, but you expect he's going to be super fast and doing his own thing. He's on the grind, putting the work in, and it'll be also a pretty cool story to follow how that sort of dynamic with Tomac and Webb. Obviously, two sort of alpha guys that both think they're the best and know they're the best and want to win. So it'll be pretty interesting to see that one sort of play out because they're probably not the most sort of friendly guys in that race environment. They both sort of just head down and get the job done. So how do you see it playing out? It'll be a cool subplot to follow, won't it? Yeah, I, I think they'll be okay. I really do. And, and uh, Jason Wygant and myself were kind of talking about this. What does that look like? Two alphas in the same truck and things like that. But both of them are are consummate professionals um and and i don't think you know webb has tried to play games with eli in the past and it had zero effect on on tomac at all right he just he didn't even blink it didn't phase him nothing so i think webb has learned who he can play those games with and have an effect and who he can't and, and to be honest i think cooper feels like he has a lot more problems than just Eli Tomac right now, right? He's going to have to deal with Jet Lawrence and Kenny is, is back on form. And there, there's a lot to unpack there versus just two guys going for the championship and they're in the same truck that I don't believe that's how it's going to be. Obviously Chase Sexton is going to be incredible. He's a reigning champion. So if Cooper Webb is spending his days and nights worrying only about how he's going to get inside Eli Tomac's head, I think he's, he's kind of missing the plot a bit. Um, he needs to worry about being his best self. And, you know, if anything, those two should be working together to find pace to go battle the youngsters. Uh, and, and I don't think they will. I, I doubt they'll practice together. But I could see a world where that's their best plan is to ride together and feed off of each other because they're both older. It's both, it, you know, it's it's challenging as you get older, especially for Eli coming off a big injury to find that intensity and find the new techniques that are going to allow you to go faster, that young riders that they, that's what they do. They innovate and they bring new ideas and new ways to attack racetracks to the table. And I, I firmly believe that's why Hayden Deegan is at Eli Tomax has been at Eli Tomax property riding. And so Eli can watch him ride, find that intensity, have someone that is not a risk to him, but because, because, by the time Hayden Deegan ever rides a 450, Eli will be long gone, right? So there's there's no animosity there. They can truly push each other without that feeling of, I'm giving this guy too much of an edge, right? They're like, I, I don't have to hold anything back. I don't have to hide anything training-wise. I can lay it all out there, and it's only going to benefit me. And that's kind of what I – you know, that point I was making about Webb, I, that's what I think he needs. Um, so – to your specific question of how that does that work inside the same truck, I truly think it's going to be fine simply because there's there are too many other variables at play for them to be solely concerned about each other. Um, the only caveat would be if somehow, you know, Jet hurts himself or is not 
that's the only way I could see it. He, he's not going to be ineffective. So he'd have to be hurt. And maybe Sexton is off or hurt or something. And it just came down to those two. Then it gets really interesting, right? Because you have this, this inner truck battle. But I, I truly think there's way too many other guys to be worried about to, to allow that to creep in. If, if your first thought is like, your teammate, I got to beat my teammate, man, on a championship level, I, I think you're going to, to really be missing out on what's important. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose those elite guys, they're used to sort of that team within a team vibe in those big factory teams when you're against guys that you're competing for, for wins and podiums. So it was interesting to see sort of Chase Sexton moving on to him. He was mentioning on that podcast with AC that, you know, it was a bit like that at HRC, the Lawrence brothers, obviously Jed especially had their sort of guys. He had his sort of guys and obviously he wasn't sort of, he said they got along fine with them, but it just wasn't the sort of framework that he was that sort of into by the end of it. So it's always going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously, he was really happy about KTM moving there. Obviously, he said he knows a lot of guys there. They obviously do leave no stone unturned as well, their approach. And probably be pretty cool having a teammate like AP for him to keep things light and fun as well. And he's obviously not going to be the every guy winning races. Obviously, he's got the speed and the capabilities to win races, but should be a bit of a switch for him. And how do you think he plays out on that KTM? It's going to be just fascinating to see it unfold, isn't it? Yeah, it'll be interesting. And and I think that they're going to roll out a new factory edition KTM for him. Um, I, I think that's why there's not much out there in the way of social media, not much video, not many photos, because I, I think that he's spending most of his time riding the new model that will come out sometime in the next month. Um, and, and I think that was critical for him to end up signing that deal was that they were going to make some chassis adjustments on the new frame from all the complaining that the Husky guys and the KTM guys had had over the past 18 months. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do think he'll be great. I, I think that that new bike will be considerably better. They'll adjust and, and I'm sure they were hard at work trying to address the things that needed to be addressed. But once that chassis came out for the 2023 model, there wasn't much they could do, right? They were, they were stuck for quite a while. So I'm sure they really wanted to get this one right. And I'm sure Chase got to ride it several times to make his, you know, end all be all decision to sign that, that KTM contract. Uh, but he should be great. Um, he's, I mean, as a fantastic rider, sometimes, you know, it, it can, a lot of it can be in your head, you know, it doesn't have to be a fundamental machine change or anything. It can just be, Hey, I need to be in a different place on a different bike around different people and get my mind right. Because from what I saw and, and I was pretty up close to it, he was really unhappy uh, at the end of last season. He just didn't want to be on that team anymore. Um, I, I think he felt like that was now the Lawrence's team. And I don't, you know, I, I don't think you can blame Honda or blame Chase. You know, for Honda, you look at their future of these two brothers that are so captivating and have so much potential. And you couple that with the fact that myself, and I'm not, I'm not involved in these teams. I heard in the summer of 2022 that Chase Sexton had already either signed or was given a letter of intent by KTM for the 2024 season. So if you're Honda, how are you going to respond to that? You're going to be all in on Chase when you've got a whole year and a half left on a contract and you're already signing or attempting to sign with another team? Like that can't feel great either, you know? In the midst of trying to battle for a, that 450 Pro Motocross Championship, that's when all that was going on. So I think there was a lot of, push pull there you know depending on which side of the fence you're on you likely had legitimate reasons to be a little miffed you know i i could make a case for either side 
feeling the way that they did. But some things, you know, they come to an end for a reason. KTM really needed Chase Sexton. I think, you know, this was the perfect fit for Chase, for KTM to get him. So that works really well. And if you're Chase, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be under the same truck with Jet and Hunter on 450. I just don't want to, I don't want to do that. Um, so sometimes things happen for a reason. Uh, it was interesting for me at the finale at Ironman and then going through the SMX races to kind of see what, like take the temperature of the room between Chase and Honda. And I, I truly felt like Honda, the Honda guys were really bummed uh, because you think about Sexton, he's been on a Honda his whole career. He is a Honda guy, amateurs, professional, won 250 titles for them, wins a, breaks the streak of Supercross titles going back 20 years, right? He broke the goat streak or the, uh, the curse anyway. That means a lot, right? And, and I think they, you know, he, he was one of them. He was a Honda guy. And, and for it to end on a not really amicable basis, uh, I, I think left a scar. And I don't think they were, they felt great about it. Um, so, yeah, that's, you know, it's a bummer. Things always end for a reason. And sometimes they don't, they don't have to end well. They just end, you know. And, um, but, yeah, I, I do think it's for the best. And the, because, like, the, the points I laid out, when you look at where Honda's trajectory is going, it feels like they're all in on this Jet Hunter brother thing. And then KTM really, really need a chase in their life because they need that guy that can win. So, yeah, it probably was for the best. It just You just hate to see really strong partnerships that are decades long uh, end on a, on a sour note. And I kind of – I think it did. Yeah, it sort of wasn't ideal in a lot of ways, but it'll be really cool to see it play out. Would you have him as your favorite at this point? Would you have Sexton, Tomac, and Jet as your sort of top three – Heavy hitters, obviously, there's so many unknown and, you know, a lot of winners will probably be laying it down. It'll be pretty cool to see, mate. So I guess, would that be your top three right now? And do you have any leanings towards one or the other? Uh, I would have I would have Jed as my favorite. Um, I, he's just been so impressive. And, and I think he's only getting better. I, I think he's still learning. Um, I don't think he's a prohibitive favorite. You know, I think Sexton will be really good too. But you watch those guys race all summer and then those SMX rounds – Jet just looks like he's he's kind of firing on all cylinders right now. And until somebody takes it to him and proves that they can beat him straight up or is better than him or, you know, he has a big get off or something like that, I don't see any reason to not pick Jet. And, uh, and for me, it's just keep picking the best rider until there's a reason to not pick him. Uh, yeah. the, the wild card for me is, is Tomac. I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that because it, that's a big injury. And he didn't race for a long time and he's older, you know, he's, he's not 25 anymore. He'll be, he'll be really good. Don't get me wrong, but is it going to be the 2022 and 2023 Eli Tomac? I don't know. Uh, that's doesn't mean it can't be. That's just, that's the one I'm the most curious about is to see what, what Eli Tomac's form is. Is he right back to, you know, up to speed and ready to battle like he was at a one in 2023. If he, if he can do that, he will have, endless respect from me because to find that level again after not riding for four or five months as everyone else has continued to progress uh that that's saying something so to me eli tomek is is the biggest question mark coming into 2024 yeah it's going to be pretty cool to watch him back out there and yeah that age coming back it's obviously he's extremely committed and he's not going to come back to get second he's coming back to win so watching that unfold will be pretty excellent. And I guess there's some more unknowns with the likes of Christian Craig and Mookie, obviously extremely injury interrupted campaigns this year. So 
what do you expect from those guys? Obviously, getting the bike comfortable will be the key point because they both sort of have looked more comfortable in the whoops in previous years. And I guess they'll probably be pretty refreshed, I guess, physically and mentally to have another really big shot at. And, and Christian Craig, obviously, you were around him at the Nations as well in the SMX. He was there not racing, but I guess he's probably ready for a really good season to stamp his mark on that Husky team after it seemed such a long time ago he won that 250 title now, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and I'm hoping for them that what I suspect will be a new KTM model, I'm hoping that they get to ride it as well, which I, I think they will, um, because I just I heard it behind the scenes a lot that they were just battling the chassis a lot of the year. They just weren't comfortable. You look at where Christian Craig hurt himself and ended up being in the whoops. And this is one of the best whoops riders I've ever seen in Christian Craig. And you could say the same thing for Malcolm Stewart. Malcolm Stewart's one of the best I've ever seen, right? Maybe not every single week, but some of the things he can do. I wasn't really witness to that in 2023. It just looked like he was a little tentative on the bike because he wasn't so sure of what it would do. Uh, so I'm hoping that the chassis really turns things around around for them because I do think they're both capable. I both, I think they're both top five capable in a really deep field. Now being a perennial top five guys, another story, like you have to be head and shoulders better than everybody to do that because the field is very deep. Um, but I think to see them up there battling, running around at the front of heat races, you know, those are the types of things that we really didn't see in 2023 that I want to see in 2024, like be a factor show that you have the speed to go with the front guys, not get dropped every time. And you're like an 11th and, you know, a third of the races like that, that can't happen. You're basically a non-factor at that point. So um, yeah, I, I think the biggest key there will be what do they, if they get the new chassis, what does that look like? And if they didn't, how, how many, how much of a stride were they able to make with the old chassis to get them more comfortable? Cause I don't think it's a talent thing. I just don't think mm. that they really were able to ride to their potential last year. Yeah, both them and the team would be definitely looking for a massive uplift in 2024. It's going to be a great one to follow as well. And another team that would probably want more is obviously Kawasaki. New bikes come out, obviously lots of positive feedback about it and sort of on the right path with it. It should be really sort of greater to have Jason Anderson and AC on it. And obviously we want to see them doing well. Hopefully Anderson can get back to the levels we saw last year where he was just a winner. And if things went his way early in the season, he could have really contended more than he did. He was just pretty flawless in sections there. And AC, pretty strong building year for him this year. Lots of positives to take, obviously, still with those arm issues, which is always horrible to see. And he has his fair share of crashes too, but it's just good to see him out there. He's great for the sport. He's a great ambassador. He speaks really well. He's coherent. He keeps things positive. So another sort of team that we definitely hope for a great year is Kawasaki, isn't it, mate? And do you think we can get those guys back to being podium regulars as soon as possible? Yeah, I think there's two different kind of dynamics between those two guys, right? Um, AC is just kind of constantly battling his arms and he can, he only goes as fast as his arms and his grip strength will allow him to go. So that will be the question. Uh, you know, we'll have this opportunity in about two weeks from now where all the riders come to Anaheim stadium. We get to go through two days of interviews with them and talk to them and be, have candid conversations. And that's really going to be kind of where I'm at with AC is like, Hey, you've been doing stem cell treatment. Is there a white at the end of the tunnel or is this, this it? Like, are we maxed out? Like there's no way to get better from here. We're just going to try to hang on and get top fives and top tens. Or are we going to see the magic AC that, you know, we we've seen in the past and, and I'm ho he will be very candid. He always is. He's going to be truthful. Uh, but that's really the main question I have because it's not a talent thing. It's not an ability thing. It's what is your body going to allow you to do in 2024? 
And then for Jason Anderson, a uh, very different conversation is I'm, I'm going to kind of ask straight up, like what was going on in 2023? Was that a personal thing? Were you just really flat after a great 2022? You know, you had such a strong year that you just didn't have the fire that you did in 22, or was it, uh, you know, your wife was, you got married and your wife was pregnant with your first child. Was that, you don't want to use the word distraction. It was probably the greatest thing that's ever happened in his life, but did that take some of the focus off of racing because your personal life, you were going through all these incredible things, right? So I'll have to work on the, the, the verbiage there a little bit, but that's kind of it is like, I just want to understand from his perspective, where the performances of 2022 went in 2023, because it's the same bike, really the same team, the same personnel, the same Jason Anderson, there wasn't a big injury, but it was noticeably the the drop off was noticeable in performance. Um, So it'll be interesting to kind of see what he fires back. I, I don't, you know, for me, I don't have a dog in the fight. I hope he can understand. We're all just genuinely curious because I picked him to be in the championship fight again, I picked him to win a one. And then it was just, it just kind of wasn't there. Like I was waiting on it all season long and it just wasn't there. So uh, it'll be curious to see what he has to say about that. Yeah. I know what you sort of put it down to what's accountable for that, but yeah, he doesn't really like talking hugely, you know, JA, but whatever you can get out of him on those press days is probably pretty valuable. Cause he's probably a little bit more relaxed with the racing, not being on. So it'd be pretty cool to see what he comes up with there. And, Another man that he knows well on the track is Barsha. And, you know, he obviously had a season that, you know, it started off pretty well. The Supercross was very good. And then the injury is sort of multiple injuries have sort of scuppered him. Obviously couldn't do Paris on the weekend either, but he'll be coming out firing always, isn't those season openers. And he's just bringing the fun and bringing another big name that can win and podium and who wants to sort of have another really bright start to the year and sort of get that positive direction going again after the pretty rough second half of the year. Do you see Barsha? Get there, and also Ferrandis, obviously on that Phoenix Honda. That's another wild card thrown in there. Obviously, absolute machine outdoors. Supercross hasn't gone so well when he's moved on to the 450. So lots of nasty crashes last year. Do you see him getting it in there in the mix, or how do you see those guys playing it out? I guess top five to top ten to start with and build from there would probably be the aim for them. Yeah, Barsha's an interesting one for me because I always look at these early races, A1 specifically. There, there are two different responses that you get from a race like A1. Uh, a lot of guys, I don't want to say they shrink, but they just are like, I just got to get through tonight. I got to get some positive points on the board, stay off the ground, and get out of here, right? I don't think that's how Barsha views A1 at all. I don't think he really has or feels any championship pressure. He's very locked into the moment. It's like, hey, I can win this race. Everybody else is like nervous freaking out they don't want to do anything stupid they have that you can't win the championship but you championship here but you can lose it mantra going on screw all that i want to go win this race right and he's done it multiple times and i think that's a lot of why is because his approach is just so different like he there's a, a quote from grant langston going back to 2007 where he says you know pressure and big moments do one of two things to you. You either crumble under it and you don't perform or it brings out your very best. There, there's not a lot of in between for a lot of people in those, the biggest moments of your life, you either channel it and use it to be your very best self or it just cripples you. And I think Barsha is one of those guys where he rises up, like he doesn't feel all that pressure. He feels like it's an opportunity um, and Jet Lawrence is the same way. I've had conversations with him and other people, Lucas Myrtle, uh, people around him. 
Jed is that person where when the white's the brightest, he's his best. He doesn't feel as nervous about failure. He feels like he wants to be the star of the show and it really drives his performance. Like Lucas always tells me like, if there were no fan, no fans at the race and it wasn't on TV, he'd probably get 10th because he wouldn't be engaged and he wouldn't care. But you put it on live television, you put him on the biggest stage and that guy's going to show up. That's what he, he thrives on it. Um, and I think Barsh is the same way. Maybe the, the, the stakes are a little bit different championship wise, but I think that's how, why, why you see Barsha do so well at a one is he just doesn't feel any of those crazy nervous feelings that walk him up or get, doesn't get arm pump. He doesn't, he just, he goes out and rides his best. And, uh, not many people can do that at, at the pressure cooker that a one is, um, Dylan Fernandez, I just was having a conversation about him a few minutes ago and man, it's, it's, I don't even know where to start. You know, I, I don't have any expectation because Supercross has just been a wash for him. Like there's really nothing to even latch onto. You can't say it's been good. You can't even really say it's been bad because it's almost been like a non-applicable. Like he does, he hasn't raced a lot. He's had a bunch of crashes. He had really scary one at Houston last year where he was out for a lot of the race, you know, he's knocked out. Um, you know, I, I just hope that he can find a program and a, and a situation where he's happy. I think that's what's missing for him is he didn't look comfortable at all last year. He just struggled with the bike, struggled with the team, struggled with everything seemingly all summer. So now he's kind of teamed up with uh, Rick Ziegfelder, who everyone calls Ziggy from Factory Connection, who they have a – for whatever reason, they just have a really strong connection on translating what's happening with the motorcycle. And then that's really important for a guy as picky as Dylan is, is – Ziggy can see it and he understands Dylan's language of explaining what the bike is doing. And he can then apply changes based off of that. And they're working in the same direction. So I think that's the key, regardless of what the team or bike or anything is for, for Dylan is just being confident and happy with the situation. Um, and then I, I don't have high expectations for Supercross at all. The one thing I would ask is just get through the season healthy because we know motocross is his best chance to really excel and he, he hasn't come in to a motocross season fully, fully prepared and ready to go, really, I would say since 2021. So he kind of needs to get back to that level where he's not worried about injuries. He's not trying to figure out a new motorcycle. He's going to the race to try to win a championship. And it, it's just been a minute since that's been the case. Yeah, that's a great point on Ferrandis. Obviously, he's one of those guys that's sort of all in. He doesn't like settling for second. He just wants to win. So it'll be sort of a strange thing to see him maybe try and lower his expectations and still try and get the most out of himself because he's a sort of a fighter, a real fierce competitor. And on your topic of Barsha as well, obviously having someone like him had so much buzz elevates what's going to go around at A1. And another guy that sort of intimidates others and always keeps guys honest looking over their shoulder. And like you say, he doesn't really care. He just cares about him and what he's doing on the track at that time. So always awesome to have him out there. Another one that's been doing so much sort of, you know, the off-season hype has just been massive around is Prado. Do you think we see him doing Supercross, mate? Obviously, you in America, you would have heard all sorts of stories and theories. And obviously, he's been doing some interviews and training the Supercross. Everyone's saying, obviously, he looks good. Prado always looks good, doesn't he, mate? He's just so technical and, you know, he always looks sound and he always looks connected and planted. So, What's your thoughts on it all? Do you think we see him at A1 and do a couple of Supercross rounds? Is that transition too much? Obviously, the calculations are just split second and then riding Supercross and racing Supercross are two different animals. Seems like 
quite a massive challenge, even though he gets the great starts. But just racing in that environment in the stadium, there's a lot to sort of deal with. Just coming off a few weeks of training this time around, obviously he did it many years ago as well. And that's probably looking like he wants to do it in the future. But your perspective would be great to hear on it all, mate. Yeah, it's going to be an unpopular opinion, but I don't think that Prado should race Supercross uh, this year. Um, I, I don't think he should do the first few. And my bosses at Feld and NBC will probably not be happy with me if they heard me say that. But I'm trying to think what's best for Jorge Prado. And when I look at it, I just think he would be kind of straddling the middle too much, right? Because he needs to really kind of be thinking about preparation and rest and start working towards the international prep races for MXGP not thinking about, okay, we're going to San Fran and I've got to figure out the bike and supercross. And I just, I'm a big believer in pick one and go with it. And what I think he should do is exactly what he's done so far. Come over, ride some supercross, get some testing in, work on a deal. He just, he proved that he can ride supercross. I think everybody watched him ride. He can do it, right? He's not going to be awful at it. I think he's shown enough to where his boss, you know, whoever, if it's pit buyer or whoever is making the decision, is like, yeah, that's that's good. We'll, we can work with that. Then come full time for 25, right? Go back in 24, defend your MXGP title, honor your contract, be fully committed to that. And then as soon as we finish at Matterly Basin, make the jump, come to America, practice all of October, you know, whatever, you get the little time off too. But then November, December, do your full training bit. Um, I just think the risk of ruining 2024 is too high coming over for a few races where you're not going to be fully prepared because I, I don't believe that he's going to spend all of November and December practicing Supercross like everyone else is. That's what the, the people he has to race against, they're going to be all in practicing Supercross and living breathing and eating it for the next seven weeks. And I don't think that's necessarily what he's going to be doing. So not only does he not have any experience, he's also going to be behind the eight ball of what everyone else he's up against is doing. Um, so we'll see, right? Nobody's asking me a, my opinion necessarily that matters on what he should be doing, but that's, that's just kind of how I see it. I, I think there's not enough upside and too much risk to kind of just be half pregnant with Supercross and not. Um, especially if you're going to make the jump full time, there's plenty of time to worry about that at the end of 2024. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Well said. And obviously it's sort of amplified, you know, stepping straight into that 450 class. There's no sort of getting your feet wet in the gradual against younger riders. It's you're against the best in the world that have done it for years and years, probably, you know, best part of two decades. A lot of those guys have been training and riding super cross yep. in some capacity. So it's a massive step, isn't it, mate? And you see the Coonan brothers have obviously just announced they're going to stay for a couple more years in MX2 and the MXGP paddock. Obviously a wise move from your end, mate. They just need more time. And, you know, you see the racing, they're only 16. So there's still a lot of immaturity in their racing in some ways, even though the speed's absolutely blistering. There's still a lot to learn for them and a lot of experience to be gained and just to manage different situations and navigate high pressure situations and deal with pressure and so much. So your thoughts on them as talents, obviously we've spoken about it so many times on our podcast, but just such a wise move. And yeah, good for the future. And I guess a problem for MXGP losing potentially a lot of their stars of the future. Yeah, I, I do think they'll end up here. They're, they want to be here sooner than later. But, you know, the other side of that is you you need a place to put them to. Like you need a home for them and a really good situation in America that's going to work. 
and, and it's it's tough. A lot of teams are locked into multi-year deals, and there's not a lot of space. And also, you know, if you are the if you're KTM uh, and you're looking at it on a global picture, you need to continue to cultivate young talent for MXGP also. And how do you split that and, and understand their wishes to come to America, but also want to be competitive for MX2 titles? And yeah, it's there's a lot to kind of unpack there. Um, I'm very surprised. I'll, I will say this. I'll be very surprised if they are still in the MX2 to paddock for multiple years. Um, I, I think it'll be sooner than that because their contract doesn't necessarily have to change. I think they'll still be on white and orange bikes, but I think they make the jump sooner rather than later. So we'll see if my prediction pans out or not. I think they'll be locked in to the same, their paychecks will come from the same people. I just think you'll see them make the jump sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It'd be a good one to follow as well. And just before we let you go, mate, as we wrap this one up, any final thoughts? And I guess talking about it, the excitement levels certainly are raising heading into A1. And obviously, you've got the added new manufacturers coming in and obviously Ducati in the future. So there's a lot of excitement around the sport at the moment and good to see more rides, more factory rides, more jobs for people and just able to stay in the sport longer with better material. So any final thoughts, mate? What's the sort of plans for the next few weeks and how's everything at Fly? Just quickly, if you want to update the fans too. Yeah, it's, it's incredible to see all these new OEMs come in. Uh, it's not something I would have seen because it's there's there's a lot of options already, um, but we'll take it. The more involvement, the better, and it's only going to have more and better options for consumers, and it's going to drive the other OEMs to continue innovating because they have more competition. So, yeah, it's great. More jobs for more people in the industry and riders and everybody. So uh, I, I don't see a lot of downside as long as the the markets can support it you know as long as there are enough people buying dirt bikes to to make it all work then so be it um, so that'll be really cool uh for me i am going on holiday for a little bit uh just try to try to recharge a little bit as much as i was talking about how much jet and these guys need to do it uh, everyone else does too um you know we all everyone that's traveling and it doesn't matter what your role is if you're traveling to all the races and you have this long calendar, you kind of have to reset a little bit. Uh, otherwise, you're just miserable throughout the summer and, and towards the end of the series. So I'm going to try to do that and have a little bit of fun and uh, also prepare, you know, you know, Western Power Sports and Fly Racing are a huge part of the Supercross family. So we're hard at work getting everything lined up and, you know, our hospitality truck and everything ready on our end so we can be there and be a part of the, the big show once again. Um, product wise, you know, we're continuing to push the, the formula S helmet, which has been a huge success for us really innovating, you know, helmet safety and helmet technology. And, you know, we have, we still have really big plans with that part of our lineup, you know, the formula and formula S and where that's going that are really, we haven't told anybody about yet. It's just not really ready for the public to see, but that, that mission is ongoing to really revolutionize what helmet expectations are. So, um, you know, we kind of launched the next salvo with the, the, you know, fly smart technology, but there's some coming right behind it that it, I think is really just as impressive. Um, so it's, I have to be careful with what I say, but I, you know, it, it's exciting to know that these things are still being worked on and, and it's not necessarily just us, like technology is evolving so fast. Right. And what, um, you know, cell phones are capable of and, and GPS data is capable of and all those things are unlocking potential for a lot of the things that that we do secondarily to it. So it's, uh, it's an exciting time to be a part of 
really innovative stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we're just, we're thrilled to uh, keep pushing that envelope. Awesome, mate. Yeah. It's been such a game changing product and obviously yeah, elevating all the levels of performance and design fly racing, mate. So obviously thanks fly racing for sponsoring this one. And thank you again for coming on JT and all the best for the holiday, mate. And we look forward to speaking again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Ed.